next is What to the Slave is the Fourth of July, Part 2. The Present, 1852. My business, if I have any here today, is with the present. The accepted time with God and His cause is the ever-living now. Trust no future, however pleasant. Let the dead past bury its dead. Act in the living present. Heart within and God overhead. We have to do with the past only as we can make it useful to the present and to the future. To all inspiring motives. To noble deeds which can be gained from the past. We are welcome. But now is the time. The important time. Your fathers have lived died and have done their work and have done much of it well you live and must die and you must do your work you have no right to enjoy a child's share in the labor of your fathers unless your children are to be blessed by your labors you have no right to wear out and waste the hard-earned fame of your fathers to cover your indolence Sidney Smith tells us that men seldom eulogize the wisdom and virtues of their fathers, but to execute some folly or wickedness of their own. This truth is not a doubtful one. There are illustrations of it near and remote, ancient and modern. It is fashionable hundreds of years ago for the children of Jacob to boast, we have Abraham to our father when they had long lost Abraham's faith and spirit. That people contended themselves under the shadow of Abraham's great name, why they repudiated the deeds which made his name great. Need I remind you that the similar thing is being done all over this country today? Need I tell you that the Jews are not the only people who built the tombs of the prophet and garnished the sepulchres of the righteous? Washington could not die till he had broken the chains of his slaves, yet his monument is built up by the price of human blood and the traitors in the bodies and souls of men. Shout, we have Washington to our father, that it should be so, yet so it is. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is often interred with their bones. Fellow citizens, Pardon me. Allow me to ask, why am I called upon to speak here today? What have I or those I represent to do with your national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and of national justice embodied in that declaration of independence extended to us? And am I therefore called upon to bring our humble offering to the national altar and to confess the benefits and express devout gratitude for the blessings resulting from your independence to us? What to God, both for your sakes and ours, that the affirmative answer could be truthfully returned to these questions? Then would my task be light and my burden easy and delightful. For who is there so cold that a nation's sympathy could not warm him? Who so obdurate and dead to the claims of gratitude that would not thankfully acknowledge such priceless benefits? Who so stolid and selfish that would not give his voice to swell that hallelujahs of the national jubilee with the chains of servitude had been torn from his limbs? I am not that man. In a case like that, the dumb might eloquently speak and the lame man leap as the heart. But such is not the state of the case. I say it with a sad sense of disparity between us. 
I am not included within the pale of this glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us, the blessing in which you, this day, rejoice, are not enjoyed in common, the rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence, bequeathed by your fathers, is shared by you, not by me. The sunlight that brought life and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice. I must mourn. To drag a man in feathers into a grand illuminated temple of liberty and call upon him to join you in joyous anthems? Where inhumane mockery and sacrilegious irony? Do you mean citizens to mock me by asking me to speak today? If so, there is a parallel to your conduct. And let me warn you that it is dangerous to copy the examples of a nation whose crimes lower up to the heaven were thrown down by the breath of the Almighty, burying that nation in irrecoverable ruin. I can today take up the plaintive lament of a peeled and woe-smitten people. By rivers of the Babylon, there we sat. Yeah, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there, they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they who wasted us required us a mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forgot thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. Fellow citizens, above your national tumultuous joy, I hear the mournful wail of millions whose chains, heavy and grievous yesterday, are today rendered more intolerable by the jubilee shouts that reach them. If I do forget, if I do not faithfully remember those bleeding children of sorrow this day, may my right hand forget her cunning and may my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. To forget them, to pass lightly over their wrongs, and to chime in with the popular thing would be treason most scandalous and shocking and would make me a reproach before God and the world. My subject, then fellow citizen, is America slavery. I shall see this day and its popular characteristics from the slave's point of view. Standing there, identified with the American bondman, making his wrongs mine. I do not hesitate to declare with all my soul that the character and conduct of this nation never looked blacker to me than this 4th of July. Whether we turn to the declarations of the past or to the professions of the present, the conduct of the nation seems equally hideous and revolting. America is false to the past, false to the present, and solemnly blind herself to be false to the future. Standing with God and crushed and bleeding slaves on this occasion, I will, in the name of humanity, which is outraged, in the name of liberty, which is fettered in the name of the Constitution and the Bible, which are disregarded and trampled upon, dare to call in question and to denounce with all of the emphasis I can command everything that serves to perpetuate slavery, the great sin and shame of America. I will not equivocate. 
I will not excuse. I will use the severest language I can command. And yet no one word shall escape me that any man whose judgment is not blinded by prejudice or who is not a heart a slaveholder shall not confess to be right and just. But I fancy I hear some one of my audience say, it is just in this circumstance that you and your brother abolitionists fail to make a favorable impression on the public mind. Would you argue more and denounce less? Would you persuade more and rebuke less? Your cause would be much more likely to succeed. But I submit where all is plain, there is nothing to be argued. What point in the anti-slavery creed would you have me? argue? On what branch of the subject do the people of this country need light? Must I understand to prove that the slave is a man? That point is conceded already. Nobody doubts it. The slaveholders themselves acknowledged the enactment of laws for their government. They acknowledged it when they punished disobedience on the part of the slave. There are 72 crimes in the state of Virginia, which if I committed by a black man, no matter how ignorant he be, subject him to the punishment of death, while only two of the same crimes will subject a white man to the like punishment. What is this but the acknowledgement that the slave is a moral, intellectual, and responsible being? The manhood of the slave is conceded. It is admitted in the fact that Southern statute books are covered with enactments forbidding under severe fines and penalties the teaching of the slave to read or to write. When you can point to any such laws in reference to the beast of the field, then I may consent to argue the manhood of the slave. When the dogs in your street, when the fowls of the air, when the cattle's on your hills, when the fish of the sea and even the reptiles that crawl shall be unable to distinguish the slave from a brute. There I will argue with you that a slave is a man. For the present, it is enough to affirm the equal manhood of the Negro race. Is it not astonishing that while we are plowing and planting and reaping, using all kinds of mechanical tools, erecting houses, constructing bridges, building ships, working in the metals of brass, iron, copper, silver, and gold, that while we are reading, writing, and ciphering, acting as clerks, merchants, and secretaries, have among us lawyers, doctors, ministers, poets, authors, editors, orators, and teachers, that while we are in Engaged in all manner of enterprise, common to man, common to other men, digging gold in California, capturing the whale in the Pacific, feeding sheep and cattle on the hillside, living among, acting, thinking, planning, living in families as husbands, wives, and children, and above all, confessing and worshiping the Christian God and looking hopefully for life and immortality beyond the grave. We are called upon to prove that we are men. Would you have me argue that man is entitled to liberty? That he is the rightful owner of his own body? You have already declared it. Must I argue with wrongfulness of slavery? Is that a question for Republicans? Is it to be settled by the rules of logic and argumentation as a matter of beset with great difficulty? Involving a doubtful application of the principles of justice, hard 
to be understood? How should I look to today? In the presence of Americans dividing and subdividing a discourse to show that men have a natural right to freedom. Speaking of it relatively and positively, negatively and affirmatively, I do so would be to make myself ridiculous and to offer an insult to your understanding. There is not a man beneath the canopy of heaven which does not know that slavery is wrong for him. What am I to argue that it is wrong to make men brutes, to rob them of their liberty, to work them without wages, to keep them ignorant of their relations to their fellow men, to beat them with sticks, to flay their flesh with a lash, to load their limbs with irons, to hunt them with dogs, to sell them at auctions, to sunder their families, to knock out their teeth, to burn their flesh, to starve them into obedience and submission to their masters? Must I argue that a system thus marked with blood and stained with pollution is wrong? No, I will not. I have better employments of my time and strength that such arguments would imply. What then remains to be argued? It is that slavery is not divine, that God did not establish it, that our doctors of divinity are mistaken. There is blasphemy in that thought, that which is inhumane cannot be divine. Who can reason on such proposition? They that can, may. I cannot. The time for such argument is past. At a time like this, scorching irony, not convincing argument, is needed. Oh, had I the ability and could I reach the nation's ear? I would, today, pour out a fiery stream of Biting ridicule, blasting reproach, withering sarcasm, and stern rebuke. For it is not light that is needed, but fire. It is not a gentle shower, but thunder. We need the storm, the whirlwind, and the earthquake. The feeling of the nations must be quickened. The conscience of the nation must be roused. The propriety of the nation must be startled. The hypocrisy of a nation must be exposed, and its crimes against God and man must be proclaimed and denounced. What to American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham, your boasted liberty and unholy license, your national greatness, swell and vanity, your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless. Your denunciations of tyrants, brass fronted impudence, your shouts of liberty and equality, hollow mockery, your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings with all of your religious parade and solemnity are to him mere bombast, fraud, deception, impiety and hypocrisy, a thin veil to cover up crimes which would disgrace a nation of savages. There is not a nation on the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of these United States at this very hour. Go where you may, search where you will, roam through all the monarchies and despotisms of the old world, travel through South America, search out every abuse, and when you have found the last, lay your facts by the side of everyday practices of this nation, and you will say 
with me that for revolting barbarity and shamelessly hypocrisy, America reigns without a rival. Internal slave trade. Take the American slave trade, which we are told by the papers is especially prosperous just now. Ex-Senator Benton tells us that the price of men was never higher than now. He mentions the fact to show that slavery is in no danger. This trade is one of the peculiarities of American institutions. It is carried on in all of the large towns and cities in one half of the Confederacy, and millions are pocketed every year by the dealers in this horrid traffic. In several states, this trade is a chief source of wealth. It is called, in contradiction to the foreign slave trade, the internal slave trade. It is probably called so to, in order to divert from the horror with which the foreign slave trade is contemplated. The trade has long since been denounced by this government as piracy. It has been denounced with burning words from the high places of the nation as an execrable traffic to arrest it, to put an end to it. This nation keeps a squadron at immense cost on the coast of Africa. Everywhere in this country, it is safe to speak of this foreign slave trade as the most inhumane traffic opposed alike to the laws of God and man. The duty to extirpate and destroy it is admitted even by our doctrines of divinity. In order to put an end to it, some of these last have consented that their colored brethren normally free, should leave this country and establish themselves on the western coast of Africa. It is, however, a notable fact that while so much execration is poured out by Americans upon those engaged in this foreign slave trade, the men engaged in this slave trade between the states pass without condemnation and their business is deemed honorable. Behold the practical operation of this internal slave trade, the American slave trade, sustained by American politics and American religion. Here you will see men and women reared like swine for the market. You know what is a swine drover? I'll show you a man drover. They inhabit all our southern states. They preambulate the country and crowd the highways of the nation with droves of human stock. You'll see one of these human flesh jobbers armed with pistols, whip, and bowie knives driving a company of a hundred men, women, and children from the Potomac to the slave market at New Orleans. These wretched people are to be sold singly or in lots to suit purchasers. They are food for the cotton field and the deadly sugar mill. Mark that sad procession as it moves wearily along and the inhumane wretch who drives them. Hear his savage yells and his blood-chilling oats as he hurries on his affranged captives. There, see the old man with locks thinned and gray. Cast one glance, if you please, upon that young mother whose shoulders are bare to the scorching sun, her briny tears falling on the brow of the baby in her arms. See, too, that girl of thirteen weeping, yes, weeping as she thinks of the mother from whom she has been torn. The drove moves tardily. Heat and sorrow have nearly consumed their strength. Suddenly you hear a quick snap, like the discharge of a rifle. The feathers clank and the chains rattle simultaneously. 
Your ears are saluted with a scream that seems to have torn its way to the center of your soul. The crack you heard was the sound of the slave whip. The scream you heard was from the woman you saw with the babe. Her speed had faltered under the weight of her child and her chains. The gash on her shoulder tells her to move on, follow the drove to New Orleans, tend the auction, see men examine like horses, see the forms of women brutally and brutally exposed to the shocking gaze of American slave buyers. See this drove sold and separated forever and never forget the deep, sad sobs that arose from that scattered multitude. Tell me, citizens, where under the sun you can witness a spectacle more fetish and shocking. Yet this is but a glance at the American slave trade as it exists at this moment in the ruling part of the United States. I was born amid such sights and scenes. To me, the American slave trade is a terrible reality. When a child, my soul was often pierced with a sense of its horrors. I lived on Fieldpot Street, Thales Point, Baltimore, and have watched from the wharves of the slave ships in the basin, anchored from the shore with their cargoes of human flesh, waiting for favorable winds to waft them down the Chesapeake. There was, at that time, a grand slave mart kept at the head of Pratt Street by Austin Wooled folks. His agents were sent into every town and country in Maryland announcing their arrival through the papers and on flaming hands billed head cash for Negroes. These men were generally well-dressed men and very captivating in their manners, ever ready to drink, to treat, and to gamble. The fate of many of slaves have depended upon the turn of a single card, and many a child has been snatched from the arms of its mother by bargains arranged in the state of brutal drunkenness. The fleshmongers gathered up their victims by dozens and drive them chained to the general depot at Baltimore. When a sufficient number have collected here, a ship is chartered for the purpose of conveying the forlorn crew to Mobile or to New Orleans. From the slave prisons to the ship, they are usually driven in the darkness of night, for since the anti-slavery agitation, a certain conscience is observed. In the deep still darkness of midnight, I have been often aroused by the dead heavy footsteps and the piteous cries of the chain gangs by that past our door. The anguish of my boyish heart was intense, and I was often consoled when speaking to my mistress in the morning to hear her say that the customs was very wicked, that she hated to hear the rattles of the chains and the heart-rending cries. I was glad to have one who sympathized with me in my horror. Fellow citizens, the murderous traffic is today in active operation in this boasted republic. In the solitude of my spirit, I see clouds of dust raised on the highways of the south. I see the bleeding footsteps. I hear the doleful wail of feathered humanity on the way to the slave markets, where the victims are to be sold like horses, sheep, and swine, knocked off to the highest bidder. 
There I see tenderest ties ruthlessly broken to gratify the lust, caprice, and the rapacity of the buyers and sellers of men. My soul sickened at the sight. Is this the land your fathers loved, the freedom which they toiled to win? Is this the earth whereon they moved? Are these the graves they slumbered in? But a still more inhumane, disgraceful, and scandalous state of things remain to be presented. By an act of American Congress, not yet two years old, slavery had been nationalized in its most horrible and revolting form. By that act, Mason and Dixon line has been obliterated. New York has become as Virginia. And the power to hold, hunt, and sell men, women, and children as slaves remains no longer a mere state institution, but is now an institution of the whole United States. The power is coextensive with the star-spangled banner in American Christianity. Where these go, may also go the merciless slave hunter. Where these are, man is not sacred. He is a bird for the sportsman's gun. By that most foul and fiendish of all human decrees, the liberty and the person of every man are put in peril. Your broad Republican domain is hunting ground for men not for thieves and robbers, enemies of society merely, but for men guilty of no crime. Your lawmakers have commanded all good citizens to engage in this hellish sport. Your president, your secretary of state, your lords, nobles, and ecclesiastics enforce as a duty you owe to your free and glorious country, to your God, that you do this accursed Thing. Not fewer than 40 Americans have within the past two years been hunted down and without a moment's warning hurried away in chains and co-signed to slavery and excruciating torture. Some of these had wives and children dependent on them for bread, but of this no account was made. The right of the hunter to his prey stands superior to the right of marriage and to all rights in this republic, the rights of God included. For black men, there are neither law, justice, humanity, nor religion. Fugitive slave law makes mercy to them a crime and bribes the judge who tries them. An American judge gets $10 for every victim he cosigns to slavery and five when he fails to do so. The oath of any two villains is sufficient under this hell black enactment to send the most pious and exemplary black man into the remorseless jaws of slavery. His own testimony is nothing. He can bring no witnesses for himself. The ministers of American justice is bound by the law to hear but one side, and that side is the side of the oppressor. Let this damning fact be perpetually told. Let it be thundered around the world that in tyranny killing, king hating, people loving, democratic, Christian America, the seats of justice are filled with judges who hold their offices under an open and palatable bribe and are bound in deciding in the case of a man's liberty, hear only his accusers. In glaring violation of justice, in shameless disregard of the forms of administering law, in the cunning arrangement to entrap the defenseless and the diabolical intent, this fugitive slave law stands alone in the annals of tyrannical legislation. I doubt if there be another nation on the globe having the brass and the baseness to put such a law on the statute books. If any man in this assembly thinks different 
flippantly from me in this manner and feels able to disprove my statements, I will gladly confront him at any suitable time and place he may select.